Hello and welcome. We gather here in the presence of God to come and to worship, to respond to the one who has created us and redeemed us in Christ. And as we gather, we do so here in person and also we remember brothers and sisters gathering online to join us in worship. We're thankful that God's spirit uh, unites us together in Christ. And just a couple reminders or some announcements. One after the service, I encourage you to take some time can go out to the sidewalk and have a chance to catch up with each other uh, after the service. Uh, also, uh, during our time of worship, we won't have our normal offering. So if you'd like to give to the work of the church, uh, there's a gray basket in the back, or you can give online uh, through the church's website. A couple other things just to, to highlight. Uh, starting next weekend, the 26th and 27th, uh, we'll have communion as part of our uh, weekly worship again. I'm thankful for a chance to re- have that return to our, our worship. So um, if you are not coming, if you're online worshiping and you'd like the staff or elders to bring community to you, please make sure you uh, let the office know or they can fill out the form online. Also, just one other thing to mention is that there is a class on, in the Wednesdays of October uh, that Adonijah Tianu and Taylor Worley are going to be teaching about global theology, a chance for the church to think about God's mission and how it connects to not just us, but to the world, the church as a global church. So that's on Wednesdays at 7.30, uh, both in person in the community space, but also online through Zoom. Uh, if you're interested, you can look at the church email for more information. Well, God calls us to come and to worship, and as we gather, let's take a moment to be quiet, to prepare ourselves to come before God. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 72. Let's stand together. delivers the needy when they call the poor and those who have no helper he has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy may the name of the Lord endure forever his fame continue as long as the Sun may the people be blessed in him All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Would you please join me in prayer? Almighty and everlasting God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this day in need of your grace. The world around us is changing, our city changing, our neighborhoods changing, our families and even our very self, we experience change Sometimes this change is good, sometimes it overwhelms us, and yet you are the one who is unchanging. You are our rock, 
our steadfast ground that we find footing upon. Gracious God, you are the king who has established all things. In your hands, you hold the world and sustain it. And in your loving arms, you embrace us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our king, that he has come to those who are needy. He has come to the poor and to the oppressed, and that they are precious in his eyes. Lord God, we ask that you would lift up our eyes to heaven, that we would look upon those things that are eternal, those things that are lasting, those things that are unchanging, and that they may move us closer to you and closer to our neighbor and to those around us. Gracious God, we do come to you, some of us filled with life and, and energy, and, and Lord, we, we ask that you would use us, that you would use us for your kingdom and for your good. But Lord God, we also recognize that many of us come tired and exhausted, and Lord, we need your grace. We need your mercy. We need you to meet us in places where we can't even get up. Lord, we pray in particular that you would meet us in our marriages, that you would meet us in our relationships and in our families, in those often hard places, those places that require courage to speak and to re-engage, to connect with those around us. Lord, where there are barriers, would you lower them so that we may love one another well? Lord God, we also pray for those who are sick. We recognize that the virus is still here. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to those who are sick. We pray that you would bring comfort to those who have lost loved ones. Lord, we pray that your healing presence would meet us in our time of need. And Lord God, we also want to thank you for this place of worship. Lord, we do pray, though, for a place, for a permanent home, and we, we pray that you would provide for us just as you have done so abundantly during this time. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, as we encounter God and we see his goodness and his grace to us, we also encounter his holiness, his righteousness, and we often come short of that. And yet, God is good to hear our confession, so we will first do that publicly and then with a meditation from Jody and Nathan with music, and uh, then we will confess our sins privately. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, in your presence, we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. O God of heaven and earth, you emptied yourself of power in order that you might heal your world. Teach us to empty ourselves of the things that destroy us and keep us alone.
take a moment um, and take your burdens uh, to God. Lord God, gracious Father, we confess that we have come up short and we have fallen into sin that consumes us, destroys us, and leaves us empty. But yet by your steadfast love and redeeming grace, you have removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand with me and we will recite these words of assurance uh, together. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Amen. You may be seated. The New Testament lesson is Philippians 1, 21 through 30. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The Gospel lesson is Matthew 20, verses 17 through 28. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside 
And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles, to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. Kneeling before him, she asked him for something, and he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to them, called to him and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. As I said, it's good to be here with you and thankful for a chance to, to worship and also thankful for a chance to look at the scriptures together. Uh, we're going to continue looking at the Old Testament book of Isaiah as we've been doing this fall, looking at some passages that lead us through that prophecy. And today we're going to look at chapter 11, uh, but to give us some context or to remind us of kind of where we are, I'm going to state that, that God's people during Isaiah's time were experiencing deep trouble, significant sorrow. Internally, they are marked by corruption and discord. Externally, they live in the shadow of three successive superpowers, Syria, Babylon, and Persia. These difficult circumstances and uncertainties are poetically highlighted in the opening five chapters of Isaiah. And they explore Israel's condition, and conclude that God's people have forgotten. They have forgotten. They do not know or understand the Holy One of Israel. And in this weary land, we saw last week that God doesn't leave things that way, but he calls Isaiah. And Isaiah, receiving this call, proclaims, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And above him stood the seraphim, each with six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, in the face of sin and uncertainty, 
God calls Isaiah to continually proclaim the reality of God's kingship, the reality and enduring truth of God's kingdom. On the section following Isaiah's call, the section that we're going to look at today, the looming question for the people, the, the question that was looming over them was, whom shall we trust? Whom shall we trust? In their discouragement and uncertainty, it might sound strange, but they were wrestling with this question, do we trust Assyria or do we trust God? Now, Assyria was arrogant and harsh and difficult, but powerful. And so the people were asking themselves and one another, who ultimately defines us or who who controls my life? In whose hands do I rest Wondering, can God and his ways be trusted? Is it really true that God is lifted high above all other powers? And I hope in hearing those questions or sensing the people's kind of anguish, that we can see that not only was Isaiah speaking to his people, but those words speak to us today as the church. Whom shall we trust? And God gives Isaiah a vision of a forever king, one anointed in the spirit who will embody God's ways and God's kingdom, who will embody the hope for us. So in our section today, we'll hear about this king, this lead agent of God's kingdom. We hear about him in chapter 7 and chapter 9 and in our passage in chapter 11. And what we're invited to, to consider in a world of competing voices competing ideas about what is security and what is good and what is right, here is one that we can trust. Here is one who marks out the ways of God and his kingdom. So let's look at this description of this forever king. It's in Isaiah 11, verse 1 through 10. You can follow in your order of worship or just listen as I read for us. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, The young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adler's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, 
from Patros, from Cush, to Elam, to Shinar, to Hamath, and from coastlands of the sea. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we pray that we would hear it and receive it, not as just a past statement, but a word by your spirit that speaks to us today. Lord, let us know you better and walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we make our way through our passage and through the sermon, there's going to be three questions that I want us to consider. The first being, what does Isaiah's vision say about us? Then what does it say about this forever king? And then what does it say about trust? So let's start with this first question. What does Isaiah's vision say about us? Reflecting absence. (laughs) Reflecting absence. This is the name of the memorial for the September 11 terrorist attacks on the Twin Towers in New York City. Maybe some of you have been there, have seen pictures of it online or in publications. The center of the memorial is two carved out voids, a pair of black granite craters. Each crater 30 feet down in the shape and in the footprint of each tower with water pouring into them, streaming into sunken, reflective pools. I want all who come to acutely feel the absence, to feel what is missing. That is what the designer of the memorial said, reflecting absence. I share that image of these black voids, these footprints of what used to be there, I share this memorial to help us understand Isaiah's opening image. The opening image of our passage is a tree stump. Now that might sound radically different from one another, but the memorial and the stump are both speaking to the idea of what is no longer present, what is absent. See, feel the condition of the people, Isaiah is saying. Imagine a great and substantial tree cut down. Now only a stump remains. Picture in your mind, right, a towering, a sheltering, a beautiful tree reduced to a stump, a few inches off of the ground. If we picture such an image, maybe even a stump is worse than all the roots, everything being pulled out. Because a stump, if it's still there, it's on display for all to see, for people to walk by, for people to stand upon, and for all to remember what used to be there. To remember what used to be there. Reflecting absence. The image of the stump speaks of Israel's context. They know this absence, this loss, and the failure and the corruption of their leaders. They know it, They know this loss in their own forgetfulness or their own turning away from God and His ways. And they know this painful loss, this absence, and the harsh oppression and destruction at the hands of their neighbors, the Assyrians. A place of life now a wasteland. See, Isaiah is offering this image to the Jews that they would honestly name their condition and speak to their experience. And what I suggest is that it invites us to do the same. 
you don't need me to tell you that we live in a very difficult time. All sorts of ways. But the image here invites us to think individually and collectively about loss. Loss of loved ones. Loss of health. Loss of security or any sense of control. A loss of connection. Loss of opportunities or plans or special events. Loss of work or financial stability. Or maybe even just the loss of feeling like you have firm footing. Or the loss of the sense of who, who, who you are. The prophet is inviting us along with the people of his day to look and to see. To picture and to imagine the stump that has been left. But if we look at our passage, that's not the only word that the prophet gives. He not only says, look and see, but he says, look, there is more. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Can you picture with me now? See, look, from this condition, from this place of loss and absence, from this failure and foolishness, from this stump shall come forth a green shoot, a tiny stem of life. Even from the burned stumps, even from a forest cut down in violence or mistreatment, even in this place, God can bring a new word and vitality. If we can picture such an image, this stump and the shoot make us long for a hope that is not rooted in human strength. Right? A hope that's beyond wealth, or reputation, beyond self-righteousness, beyond our plans. What I suggest to you is that this stump and the, the shoot that comes in the midst of it invites us to what we could call a theology of weakness or a theology of grace for cut-down trees. In this green shoot on the stump, we see the gospel proclamation that God's faithfulness continues, that there is more than our circumstances, more than our unfaithfulness, more than our mistreatment. And that more, that more is embodied in the king described in Isaiah 11. So not only do we want to ask, what does this vision say about us, but we should move and ask, what does it say about this forever king? The one who would embody hope. For right away, the shoot is personified. You see, He's described as the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. From this very place of desolation, by the power of God, a new kingdom will arise that will be for all the nations. Now, I know some of you like numbers, some of you like statistics. So I was going to tell you that Isaiah contains 1,292 verses. If you want to count them and check and let me know for sure I got it right, you can do so. And of that nearly 1,300 verses, 63 of them, or 5%, speak of a messianic figure. And Isaiah describes this person who will embody hope in th with three different titles. A Davidic king or ruler, the servant of the Lord, and the messenger of God. And in chapters 1 through 39, in the sections that we're looking at now, it's always spoken of as the Davidic king, a ruler that will come. And so we could ask, what does this 
ruler like? How is he described? First, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, that he is characterized by the very breath and presence of God. And he's poetically described in this six-fold gifting of the Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and the fear of God. Second, though, this Spirit-filled leadership will be expressed in righteousness and justice. This ruler will use his strength not for his own privilege nor simply for the connected or the powerful, but he will care for broken people. He will know the dismissed and cut down. Do you see the language of our passage that this shoot, this king will be clothed, his belt, he'll be known and his appearance will be marked not by wealth and privilege, but by his commitment to righteousness and justice. While humans struggle to see and hear, why we know the experience of people or leaders being clothed with corruption or with bias or with disregard for neighbors, this king will perceive in a way of not being influenced by appearance, not being influenced by description in such a way that would thwart justice, with equity, not bribes, with fair treatment for the powerless, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. You see, part of the vision is for us almost to imagine, can can we imagine such a rule, such leadership? And isn't it true that we long in our hearts to have a place that such people are seen and honored? But we can ask, why this royal clothing? Why is this the way that the forever king is dressed? Why this language about the meek and the poor? And here is, I suggest, that the heart of the description that the promised king will bear God's own heartbeat, a righteous concern for the powerless. This key characteristic is not surprising. It's one of God's chief concerns a key mark of his glory. And we see this heartbeat of God and his king and how the people of his kingdom are consistently called to practice it. In the book of Leviticus, we hear, you shall do no injustice in the court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. In Deuteronomy 1, you shall hear the small and great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone. And in moving to the New Testament, hearing the same type of language, in James, the church is told, when two people walk in, and one has gold and fine clothes on, and the other shabby clothes, if the church treats them any differently, then you have failed the law of love that God gives us. In this commitment to equity, the king leads his people in a special concern for the poor and the marginalized. While we're not to show partiality to any, we are to have a special concern for the powerless. And it's good for us to say that this is not a contradiction. In Proverbs we hear, speak up, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And in God's heartbeat displayed in his king's appearance, king's clothing, we don't hear the Bible say, speak up for the rich and the powerful. Not because they are less important to God, 
but because they don't need the church or God's people to do so. The human depravity bends justice towards the rich, the resourced, and the connected. Long ago in ancient Athens, there was a man named Dionys. Dionys was a philosopher who had some strange social practices. He would walk backwards through the streets, and he would intentionally enter the theater during the time when everyone else was leaving. I'm sure people found him really annoying, right? <laughs> and gave him all sorts of strange looks. It's like ancient performance art. And these strange looks, and he was deemed foolish, but he had a response. Dionys said that every sane person in the world is actually insane for following the practices of a world full of greed and corruption. And he called his walking backwards, his entering the show when it was over, he called it an aesthetic of reversal, a beautiful way of reversal. And such a description, a beautiful reversal, can be used for this promised one on whom the Spirit rests. And we can further understand this king in which we're to see our hope, the embodiment of God. We can further understand him through the second image of our passage. Animals gathered together with a little child leading them. Did you notice the language? A wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion together, the little child leading them. And we can ask, what is this strange list about? What's going on in this image that the prophet gives us? And the summary is that something has changed. That the new king has arrived and the old ways have turned. With the arrival of this one, things are different there is a reversal, a new order. Wild and domestic animals become bedfellows and dinner companions. You see, something has changed in this king's kingdom. No longer will the strong devour the weak. No longer will the weak be excluded from the table. A shoot from a burned-out stump. A little child leading a group of reconciled animals. These images speak to a humble and unexpected one leading a group in a new way, a community formed around a new order. And as we consider this beautiful reversal, because we try to imagine such an image, I think it's meant for you and I to ask, what would it be like? What if the strong, the wolf, the bear, the lion, what would it be like if they learned to die to themselves? No longer seeing others as prey to use, no longer seeing their resources just for their own lifting up. What would we like if we learned to put away our sharp teeth and our devouring and to acknowledge our failure to love others as we love ourselves? And the images also ask, what would it be like for the weak? What would it be like for the weak in the strength of the king's call to learn to set aside their fears? Learn to trust that they are welcome, that they belong, and they're called to contribute to the community. A heartbeat of righteous concern for the powerless. Strength on behalf of the weak. This is the proclamation of the king, and it's not just for one place. 
This new way, this new community is not simply in one location, but it is to be for all the nations. Do you see how it summarized? All people from all tongues and tribes will see the root of Jesse, and they will come being drawn to the beauty of this reversal, through the wonder of the justice of this king. Well, we've asked how to see ourselves, and we've asked about this king. And I want to close briefly by asking this last question. What does it say about trust? Of course, this description, this vision of Isaiah cannot be fully applied to any human ruler. Later in Isaiah, we hear about good king Hezekiah, who is a sign, a pointer to this hope. But the names and the description here go beyond another human descendant of David. Here is God himself. This king is pointing, it's, he's embodying, this is what God is like in God's ways. Pointing beyond human leadership to a divine rule. This forever king is the embodiment of God's faithfulness in the face of human need. And therefore he is set forth as the answer, as one to consider as we wrestle with the questions of who defines me? Who controls me? In whose hands does my life rest? Can God and God's ways be trusted? Or is God truly above all other powers? Jesus sets himself forth as this Davidic ruler. Jesus stood in a synagogue in Nazareth, and he opened the scroll of Isaiah. And he read a passage that evokes the language of this king, this hope. Jesus stood before the people and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, here is the word of trust that Christ, the embodiment of God's kingship and kingdom, Christ is this beautiful reversal. He became the stump. Christ is the cut down one. That new fruit may come forth in a place of loss. That new life may come forth in a place of hopelessness. Christ is the shoot hung upon the cross for our sins bearing our death and mistreatment. And Christ is the forever king risen sitting upon the throne of God, having defeated any and all who would seek to claim and define us. See, our God is the one who is above all things, but he's also the one who enters the lonely and forgotten places, the barren places, the empty places. And he does so to establish a new way and to invite us to know his grace and his favor. Amen. I pray that we would know this welcome and that we'd share it with one another. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, that you are a God that is not only above all, but has come low to care for the weak and the powerless just like us. We thank you for your heartbeat in which you have a righteous concern for the powerless. And we pray, Lord, that that would lead us and that we'd walk in your ways by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Please stand with me as we confess our faith. Uh, we are those who follow this great king, the one who is for the oppressor and the poor, uh, leading us in this kingdom of great reversal. So let us use these words from Psalm 103 to confess our faith. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Receive now God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and forever. Amen. May go in peace. Mm -hmm.